If you haven't checked the new March Madness schedule, I've seen some tweets about this. I even saw a couple of stories where it seemed like people were unaware that there was a new schedule. If you have not checked the schedule yet, you need to do that. We briefly discussed it a couple of weeks ago. If we liked it, if we didn't like it, even if we cared, I briefly wrote about it as kind of a PSA on SI.com last week, a PSA to casual fans who block out the tourney days on their work schedule or whatever you got going on. Do not forget to block out Monday the 22nd. That is the final day for the second round, and it's not like the games tip later in the day. The games are going to tip at noon Eastern on the 22nd, so at least a half day or a full day there. Move your typical Thursday first round day off to Monday. You can still take that Thursday off, but the first four games don't kick or don't tip off in, was it like 5 p.m. Eastern, I think, on Thursday? It's definitely later in the day. Yeah, yeah so you're going to be later. sitting there all day waiting for that. I get we have NFL free agency. There's other stuff going on. But move that day to Monday because you're going to be sitting there at work on Monday totally unaware. I can't even remember the last time I wasn't at home for the opening rounds. Like maybe, Can you remember the last time? Maybe middle school because I always took off in high school. I always took off when you I had a real job. took off in high school? Yeah, I can't remember the last time that I, that I missed the How do you take op- off in high school? I don't remember what the logistics of it were. My parents are pretty strict about it. They wouldn't have just let me take off. I, I can't remember how or why I got those days off. But I can't remember the last time I didn't. It had to have been sixth, seventh grade, somewhere in there. So what, like 1998? Like when when Gonzaga became Gonzaga is the last time that I did not see the first couple of rounds. Were you in high school? You're a little bit younger than me, though. I need I need a full podcast episode on where you went to high school and how you got out of class to watch. Yeah, I can't remember. I'll have to go back and think of how that worked. Logistics of it. Uh, but anyways, two weeks we'll ago... Fo- we'll follow up next week for, for the thousands of listeners that are curious about this. Two weeks ago, Pat Forty wrote an article for Sports, uh, Sports Illustrated. Scott Drew, not Archie Miller, is the coach who can restore Indiana basketball. It generated a lot of national buzz for very obvious reasons. And Pat is kind enough to drop by today to discuss that. Some other headlines across college basketball moving into conference tournament week and just a week until selection Sunday. Hey, Pat, first... For Archie Miller, is this you know just a buyout issue for him? And then, regardless of that, do you think that he will be back at Indiana next year? I think I do think the buyout is his his biggest ally at this point. The fact that it would cost ten million dollars to get rid of him at a time when schools, including Indiana, are losing money, and the fact that you've got a inexperienced athletic director, and you know it's one of those situations where I think a guy 
maybe who was feeling a little more empowered as the AD might might be more willing to push the envelope in terms of, you know, whether it's raising money or whatever to get rid of a guy after four seasons. But uh, the, the Indiana fans are absolutely done with Miller. And uh, I just, I, I don't see him being able to turn this thing around at this point. He just, he, he's had four seasons. He's gotten some good recruits. They have great facilities. They are in one of the best recruiting grounds in the country and they're, they're no good. So, you know, I think that, uh, they've, he's got at least swimming very hard upstream against a, a mighty strong current. And other than money, I don't think there's any reason that keeps him now. Is that enough of a reason? It could be, it, 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 it certainly could be. And Scott Drew is the name that, that you mentioned. Your former colleague, Pete Thamel, said something to the effect of, you know, firing Archie Miller with that $10 million buyout and then grabbing someone for a $25, $30, $35 million contract like a Scott Drew, a Chris Beard, Mick Cronin, et cetera. I mean, it's going to be incredibly expensive. It's going to require, I can't remember what word to use, maybe savvy moves that we've just never seen from this school, this inexperienced leadership. If Miller is gone, are these the names that are, are truly realistic to watch, the Beard, the Drew, Cronin, et cetera? And if not, you know, who might be some of those names that are a little bit farther down the list that are more realistic for a school that is hurting a little bit financially? It just came off of a $10 million buyout for Archie Miller. Well, I think, th- I think those are realistic names. Um, you know, Drew may not say yes, but I think he's worth the swing, and I, I feel pretty strongly that he would listen, uh, you know, that he's not going to just say forget it. Um I think Indiana means something to him, Indiana University and the, the what the program's tradition is and what can be established and done there. Uh, you know, he's done incredibly well at Baylor, uh, but it's not as easy at Baylor as it is or could be at Indiana when Indiana is functioning at a high level. So, I, you know, I think that Drew is, a, can be, is able to look at that and say, okay, things could, I could, I, I'm doing really well. I may be able to win a national title, maybe this year here. I can go to Indiana, maybe win a lot of national titles, or at least compete for them, and I could be at a school that is a basketball school in a basketball state. Baylor is a football school in a serious football state. They have done their best to embrace basketball. They, they've done well with women's basketball. I went last year to the Baylor-Kansas game in Waco, and it was a really good atmosphere. I mean, it was a big-time game. They were both top five, I believe, at the time. Maybe maybe they might have been both top three. Um, and everybody's like, wow, how about this atmosphere? And I was like, yeah, it's really good. And at Indiana, you get 15 of those a year. Um, so, you know, I mean, there's just a, that different level of passion and scale uh, of of the the interest. So... You know, and I think that matters to basketball coaches, not to all of them, but to some of them. And, and I think it would matter to Scott Drew. So he would listen. Now, you know, again, they would have they would have to throw the moon at him to get him to go. And Mac Rhodes is the AD at Baylor, and he's not going to let him go easily. So I think you could say that's a realistic one. I think Chris Beard, same thing. You know, Texas Tech is football country, football school. They've done incredibly well there. Uh, he has Indiana roots and obviously, uh, you know, or some, some, I, sh- I should say this, he has, he has some connections to the guy that is Indiana basketball to a lot of people in the state. And that's Bob Knight. Uh, and he plays a style that I think would, would kind of be warm and fuzzy to the Bob Knight, uh, diehards. 
um, that do still exist, not not in great numbers, but they're they're still out there. And then Mick Cronin, yeah, I mean Mick Cronin, he's a Midwest guy. Um, I mean, if it were me and I got to go live in Pasadena or or I'm sorry, in uh, Westwood in that area of of Los Angeles, uh, I wouldn't go back to Bloomington, but. That's Mick Cronin's a different person than I am, and, and different than a lot of people. And I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he would uh, at least entertain it as well. Now, be, if you get beyond that, there, there's any number of up and coming coaches, you know, that could be uh, attractive commodities there. But I, 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 at Indiana, I'm not sure you have to necessarily go up and coming. That was kind of Archie Miller, and we saw what happened there. One more coaching note for you before we move on to some conference tournament NCAA tournament stuff outside of Indiana there's some discussion around Minnesota some around Iowa State I know that you mentioned Steve Prohm's uh, potential hot seat in a recent article maybe Georgetown might be looking to move on and you also wrote about the possibility maybe John Calipari throwing in the towel uh, at Kentucky what's your feeling around you know maybe a Kentucky maybe jobs that are a tier above Minnesota Iowa State Georgetown any idea if those kind of first, second tier type of jobs might open up like a Kentucky? I, yeah, I don't think Kentucky will. It would take, obviously, Cal doing the moving, not Kentucky moving on from him because it would cost just an astronomical amount. And frankly, he's been too successful to to, to wish him gone after a single season, a single bad season. And really, it's not a single bad season. But on, on the whole, he's... He's done phenomenally well. So, you know, Kentucky's not going to ask John Calipari to leave or make him leave. Um, would Cal leave? I don't. I think only if he could get basically an NBA deal that, that, was, that, that catered to him and what he wants and the way he wants to do things. And there's been speculation about the Knicks, although I think they're plenty happy with Tom Thibodeau, uh, and it would probably take Thibodeau uh, leaving to open that up. But he's got... Worldwide West uh, is one of the uh, the execs there who Cal has had a long and very, uh, you know, uh, advantageous relationship with. Kenny Payne is on the staff there. So, you know, that, that kind of place, I think, would be a Calipari sort of landing spot. But he would be, I think, pretty picky about the NBA, and I think the NBA would be pretty picky about him. I'm not sure there would be a lot of people lining up to get him. So I, I anticipate he stays at Kentucky and that that domino does not fall which would which would create a a lot of dominoes potentially Pat flipping the page here into the conference tournaments that are about to start this week you know I I think we we still have a lot a pretty big bubble and a lot of teams to look at in terms of how they're going to perform this week to to move in or out of the NCAA tournament which of these conference tournaments are are you looking at you know at the very top of your list uh, in terms of what you're paying attention to what teams you think are are going to have a big week Yep, from a bubble standpoint, I think the Big East is interesting because I, I look at that and I, I, I don't think Seton Hall is in right now. I don't think Xavier should be in. A lot of people do. I don't get it. I mean, I they're thirteen and seven. Four of their last six games have been losses to non-tourney teams. Uh, St. John's is probably a bubble team. You know, I think they've got three in and three on the bubble. And and in that league, I don't think it's out of the question to see somebody else, you know, like a Providence or somebody make a run and possibly even get to a final. So that one uh, is interesting to me. Uh, the SEC, I think, is just going to be wild. I'm not sure there's there's bubble teams there. Maybe Mississippi, but like I think Mississippi could win the tournament. Kentucky, it's not completely out of the question. They could win the tournament. Uh, and then, because I think outside of Alabama and Arkansas, everyone has been wildly inconsistent. 
You know, LSU's had some moments they look great. They've got a lot of firepower and talent, but then they also can play some terrible defense. Tennessee's can be terrible on offense. Florida can be whichever way the wind blows. Same with Missouri. So I think that league tournament's going to be really interesting. Uh, The Big Ten, you know, I, I, I think at this point, both Indiana and Minnesota have to win that tournament to get into the field. Uh, I think the rest of it is probably, oh, Michigan State. Michigan State's the big drama team there. Maryland, I think, right now is in. Um, and we're saying this before they have played Penn State on Sunday. So if they, you know, if they lose that game, they're, they're in a little bit more precarious spot. But Michigan State, to me, is really interesting because uh, they have they played seven games in 15 days. You give them a couple days to get their legs back under them and see if they can make a run. They were playing pretty well near the end there, but at the top end too, Michigan, Illinois, Iowa. I mean, that's going to be a high-level tourney. You mentioned the Big East, and I, I've been watching a lot of UConn lately because it, it feels like they're really starting to get hot. I'm wondering which teams you're looking at for the NCAA tournament, uh, teams that could get hot and make a run. I, I mentioned UConn. Oklahoma State's looked really good the last few weeks. Uh, where are you at with that in terms of uh, teams? Obviously, the the matchups matter a lot. Andrew and I actually talked about that last week. We get annoyed when people like highlight teams before the bracket even comes out. But I guess that's what I'm asking you to do: is who are you looking at uh, matchup dependent that could have a good march? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely is dependent on what the bracket looks like. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But you mentioned two of them. I mean, UConn, absolutely. I, I'm, you know, I, I and probably nine million other people are picking UConn to win the Big East tournament with the injury to Colin Gillespie at Villanova. I think it's open, uh, and UConn is playing well since Knight came back from his injury. You know, they've been a different team. Um, Oklahoma State has talent, a lot of talent, young, inexperienced from a tournament standpoint. But uh, there's going to be a lot of people not want to play them. The matchups there and the athleticism and the length uh, will make them a hard matchup. Um, oh gosh, I was just thinking of a, a, a of another team here. Let me let me take a look. Mm. Oh, I, I think Georgia Tech uh, is a dangerous team uh, for from the ACC. Moses Wright has had a phenomenal senior season, as has Jose Alvarado, the guard. Moses Wright has just come on at the end and is just putting up huge numbers. I mean, big points and rebounds games. Uh, they were a team I liked at the beginning of before the season started. And then, you know, they lost their first two games because Josh Pastner kind of overthought the uh, the COVID situation and basically didn't practice with a full team for, you know, several weeks. And they, they, they were upset by Mercer and Georgia State and kind of put themselves... Uh, into a difficult situation. And then the other one is Arkansas, which they have talent. Moses Moody's really good. Freshman uh, can shoot it, can drive. I mean, he's talented. Uh, They play a a difficult style. They'll play very up-tempo, very aggressive. They play a number of guys. Uh, Eric Musselman had the nice run with Nevada uh, in 2018, and this team, I think, has some similarities to that, that they're going to be a tough out. So those are a few of them off the top of my head. Hey, Pat, let's flip that. You know, as, as I go through my bracketology, I'll start doing it daily here. It seems like we're, we're seeing a lot of bubble teams that just quite can't put it together. You mentioned Indiana, Minnesota, Xavier Laws, Boise State's dropped a couple of games, Utah State's dropped a couple of games. Who are some, you know, teams, not necessarily in the bubble, but really anywhere projected in the field that you're just not buying right now? You know, whether or not they're, they're playing well or not, that you're just not seen as a team that, like Chase said, we don't want to sit here and predict if they can make a Final Four run before seeing the bracket, but just teams that you're just not feeling right now going into the tournament. Um, 
I think I'd put Ohio State on that list, but that, but I will also wait and see what Ohio State looks like in the Big Ten tournament. I just I think they kind of just need a reset. You know, I, they're a good team, but they have they've lost four in a row, and they've just they've played like they've kind of forgotten how to make winning plays at the end of games. You know. They'll take a bad shot out of a bad possession. They will have a defensive lapse. They will not be able to get that key rebound. And that's how they've lost four in a row, and three of them have been five-point or less games. And it's just like you make a play here, you make a play there, and you win those, or at least you win two of them instead of losing four. They're talented. Uh, They're not a great defensive team. And the big problem there is just lack of height, I think. They can't protect the rim, and then their their guards don't put a lot of pressure on the ball. So, uh, you know, they're not a hard team to play against offensively but I like their talent you know I just I want to see them in Indianapolis and see if they just need you know this break for like four or five days to get over themselves uh, for lack of a better term uh, and play better there Uh, Oklahoma I think I would put in that category uh, not playing well at the end here four game losing streak for them they played I mean good games against Oklahoma State good game against Texas but that's a team that was overachieving for a long time and you kind of see them hit their ceiling to a degree and they can't sustain that level. And it looks like everybody else is caught up with them a little bit. I just, you know, they, Lon Kruger's a heck of a coach and he's had teams like this before where like, you're like, I can't believe they're this good. And you start to buy it. And then by the end of the year, okay, they've, they've kind of maxed out and, and you can see it that way. Pat, what do you have uh, coming up this week that our listeners can look for? Oh boy. Um, I have got uh, the 40 minutes uh, column on Monday that'll be uh, previewing the rest of the conference tournaments. Um, and then I'm going to be watching Championship Week and reacting to that because there's going to be a lot going on. There's going to be stories to write about who's in, who's out, you know, key injuries, uh, that sort of thing. And then the week after that, I've got a ton of stuff coming up. So uh, plenty of content uh, coming between now and the start of the tournament on March 18th. Are you traveling for the tournament at all? Yeah, I'll be in Indy the whole time. Pat Forty on Twitter at by Pat Forty online at si.com. Pat, this was great. Thank you for the time. Uh, enjoy the tournament and safe travels. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. You went down the road in Richmond on Thursday's episode with the A10 tournament with Dayton. I think that hit. Are you staying in college basketball for today's pick? That hit, didn't it? That it Dayton did hit. hit. Yep, that was a cash, and we're staying in college basketball. I, there's too many good opportunities over the next two or three weeks not to just be slamming good college basketball tips on here. So here's what we're doing. Monday, we are going to Cleveland State. How do we feel about Cleveland State? I've been to Cleveland State's campus. I wouldn't and? recommend it. Wouldn't recommend it. Would I would not to, recommend. It was something like 40 campuses over two years. I think Cleveland State was dead. They were even below Indiana State. And Indiana State's pretty bad. Not to get sidetracked here, was that part of your Richmond trip? Because I know you've said you've you've been to VCU like once. That was that was a few months. That was a few months after. Yeah, it was a few months after Richmond. So we're looking at the Horizon League Championship, Cleveland State versus Milwaukee. Uh, I think I've talked before. I know some some pro handicappers that are big on the revenge factor. I am not big on this, but we do have one of the better teams in the conference going against one of the not better teams in the conference. And the last time they played, going back to, I think, January, Milwaukee beat Cleveland State. In overtime, I think the score was like 81 to 80. 
So Cleveland State now is the higher-seeded team, and they are coming into this game on Monday. They're laying about three and a half, four points. So a, a small number, even for a conference tournament game where the numbers are generally smaller and the games are competitive, once you get into March, you got to be careful about laying big numbers with favorites because even games where there's a big talent discrepancy oftentimes are closer because it's a tournament-style game. Everybody's a little clenched up, especially early on. It's back and forth. I like Cleveland State in this spot at a smaller number. They're the better team. I think they're going to advance in this tournament at least one game. And it's at a small number. And for whatever that revenge factor is worth, losing in overtime to an inferior team probably stays with you. So I'm going to take Cleveland State to cover the small number, cover it at four. That's where we're going to grade it. Let's go Vikings. After the Oklahoma State win over your West Virginia Mountaineers, I texted you something to the effect of, we need to talk about Oklahoma State. They have skyrocketed from a double-digit seed bubble team to a widespread, widely believed four seed. Maybe they can hop up to a potential three seed over just, what, seven or eight weeks or so. They have eight quadrant one wins. Other tournament numbers not as favorable. I'm going to drop a new uh, bracketology the day this airs on Monday and then a daily one, like I mentioned, uh, up until Selection Sunday. So I'm curious if I will have them up on that three line. I actually had them as a five or next to Oklahoma. I'm certain that will change. But anyways, their other numbers not as favorable, but still a really strong resume from Oklahoma State, especially given where they were, where they were at in January. And I want to ask you about this because everybody has seen this. Like, everybody knows Cade Cunningham, even though he didn't play against West Virginia. He started out the year kind of like in that Ben Simmons role of the potential number one pick. And I know that he wasn't probably as clear-cut as the number one pick as Ben Simmons was, whatever that was, six or seven years ago. But the potential number one pick on a mediocre team, which we all thought Oklahoma State was going to be, even with Cade Cunningham. The program has gotten some unwanted attention the last couple of years with uh, Underwood leaving, the FBI and NCA issues, yada, yada, yada. Still waiting on that final reeling, uh, ruling. Basically, everybody knows about Oklahoma State by this point. They've been fantastic against the spread this season, 15-9-1. Have you bet on Oklahoma State a lot this year at all? Uh, I definitely had them in the recent Bedlam games. I had a, Oklahoma State in both games, um, and... Past that, I, I'm, I'd have to look back at my record. Do you see that changing because of how aware... I mean, betting Oklahoma State now is a hell of a lot different than even betting Oklahoma State two weeks ago, let alone eight weeks ago. Do you see that changing? Like I said, 15-9-1 against the spread, one of the best records in college basketball against the spread this season. Because everybody knows about Oklahoma State now, do you think that will change? Is the number going to be inflated a little bit going into the Big 12 tournament and then the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I mean, you always have to be careful about betting on trendy teams that everybody knows is hot. So the two I mentioned there with Pat, Oklahoma State and UConn, everybody who has $50 in an account and you know watches SportsCenter three times a week is going to be betting on those two teams. So you do have to be careful. You have to track the number. You have to feel good about the number you're getting. You know, If it starts inflated to begin with, at, I don't know, let's say six and a half in a tournament game, and then it goes up to eight, like you probably should lay off at that point. But they are playing well right now. And the the thing, I mean, there were a lot of things to like about how they played in Morgantown. 
You, you mentioned Cade Cunningham didn't play. Isaac likely didn't play in that game either. And then on top of that, they had two players. I don't have it in front of me, but they had two players foul out. And they still found a way to win that game. When they scored, what, like 90, 93 points or something? Yeah, and, and this is going to sound like sour grapes. All credit to Oklahoma State. West Virginia played garbage defense that whole game. I mean, they had like, I think Oklahoma State had like 32 layups in that game. I mean, it was it was pretty egregious. I'm sorry? Yeah, 32 it, layups? It was pretty bad. I, I don't know. Sorry, what, they only had 85 points. I don't know why I had 93 in my head. They had 85 yeah, it's, points. It's they still had, a lot of points. They had 32 layups? It, I, I saw some stat on, on Twitter from, from somebody I trust that, that covers West Virginia basketball. It was pretty egregious. But uh, they had a lot. They had a lot of layups, regardless of what the layups. number was. Yeah, the, just, and, you know, the, the, the word was, that, you know, West Virginia's playing their fourth game in eight days, so they were tired. Eh, whatever. I, I, maybe. But you're playing against a team that I think I, I'd feel comfortable saying West Virginia's better than Oklahoma State, and they're without their, like, probably number one pick in the NBA lottery and another player, you should probably win that game. So the, the defense, I thought, was bad. That's not to take anything away from Oklahoma State. They're on a heater right now. Bunch of ranked wins. They, they deserve to be talked about like we're talking about them right now. But uh, th- th- there were there were multiple factors, I thought, that, that went into how that game got played out. As we're talking here, so like Pat said, we're talking here on Sunday. As we're talking, when I pulled up that final score, because I can't remember how many points Oklahoma State scored. Are you keeping an eye on this Drake-Loyola game, by the way? It's yeah, I have it up right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 69-59. So by the time this goes live, this this game will be, what, like 18, hour, 18 hours old. But we're sitting here talking. I'm trying to keep an eye on this game because this matters a lot for the bubble. If Drake were to win this game, obviously they'd be into the, into the tournament. But Loyola also hopping up to a potential 6 or a 7 seed. Uh, not the best resume the net loves, and we're not going to talk about Loyola here. I w- I'm just sitting here staring at this score. Now, I, don't even, I don't even know what you just answered the last question to. I was just watching the <laughs> game cast of Loyola and Drake to see if Drake can close this gap here in the final minute, but it looks like that's not going to happen. Dance for me, monkey. I'm watching basketball. Talk for three minutes. <laughs> you ever do that where you have an interview, like on a podcast or something, and you ask the question and you just don't even listen to the answer at all because you're busy watching something or prepping something? And there could have been a great follow-up question, and you totally miss it. Way more than I'm comfortable admitting. <laughs> I think it depends on who the guest is, too. Like, with all due respect, I've had, you know, some not-so-great guests on the show before. Pat Forty is great. Like Forty, we saying, I was locked in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like he would just be a great guy to sit down and have a couple of beers with. But, I mean, we've had some guests in the past where they, they might ramble on a little bit. And uh, with all due respect to them, it's just... A little bit harder, I think, to have the follow-up questions. Anyways, we're not talking about interviewing uh, techniques here. You were you were two seconds away from dropping Urban Meyer's name again, <laughs> talking about guests that you may have tuned out of. I don't think I'm ever going to get Tim Tebow on the show again after trying to press him on Urban Meyer and if he deserves more criticism, and then Tebow saying that he feels bad for Urban Meyer, to which I think I laughed into the mic, but I might have cut that out. But anyways... Because we're talking, this is a great segue into what I wanted to talk about too. Drake Loyola, I want to talk a little bit about mid-major conference tournaments. We've already seen a lot of potential auto bids knocked out of their mid-major tournaments, and this isn't new. I mean, we see top seeds lose their tourney shot all the time. You know, whether it's earlier against a team that was like fourteen and sixteen in the regular season, and there are two sides of this for me. It's both confusing. And it's both a little bit frustrating. I like, I want to make it clear. I love these tournaments. We're on the same page with that. Like, mm. I want to sit down and watch the MEAC semifinals on a Thursday afternoon. Yes. That's like a little precursor, a little appetizer to what the NCAA tournament is. That is fantastic for us. 
these, what, eight or nine days of conference tournaments. I don't want to take away from that at all. I love these tournaments, teams that I don't normally have time to watch. From a purely entertainment perspective, that's just great value. But I think the stakes are too high. And I'd like to see a greater advantage given to the one seed for winning the regular season conference championship. I think that after playing for four months and this season, you're playing for, what, two and two and a half months, you know, anywhere between 15 and 22 games, but whatever. Playing for four months, I think these teams just deserve a bigger advantage. They deserve an easier path to the auto bit. Whether that's a double buy, more home court advantage, I don't know what that is. That part of it is just purely my opinion. I see both sides of it. If you don't want to give that team a better advantage, then whatever. I I totally get both sides of that argument. Here's where I don't really see both sides of it from the conference side. This is where I'm confused. Why on earth would the America East want to put UMBC and Vermont, by far their two best teams and the two teams that have the best chance at a tournament upset, why would they want to put them in a position of being out and a chance at that upset in the NCAA term. With all due respect to Hartford and UMass Lowell, that game hasn't, I think it's not even supposed to be played until later in the week or next uh, next weekend. Those teams aren't winning a conference or uh, an NCAA tournament game. They'll probably be in the playing game, whoever wins that game, Hartford and UMass Lowell. UMBC or Vermont could have won a tournament game, I think. Like, this is tough because this isn't actually my best example than all I think about it because the first four game, you still have the same value for the basketball fund money and all that. So I actually... UMBC or Vermont losing might help the America East in terms of money because one of those two teams might be in the first four game. But anyways, I'm still confused why a conference wants to put their one seed, or in this case their one and their two seed, in a position to not represent them as their be- as the best team from their conference in the NCAA tournament. I know that we've talked about this before. I know that this comes up in a lot of places every single year, and we usually try to avoid things like this that everybody else is talking about. But I think it's a huge interesting issue especially this year like we were just talking about the the right state milwaukee game uh right after the air horn and that 24 point comeback from milwaukee that game was played at right state with an empty arena if that arena was full would right state have won i don't know maybe but it sure seems like what you're giving these teams for winning the regular season title a home court advantage which essentially is not a home court advantage in college basketball this year doesn't seem like a whole lot where do you fall on this? I can't remember what your opinion is, and if you're as confused as I am, why conferences put their teams in a position to lose when it would be more financially beneficial, minus the scenario I mentioned, getting that first four money, to give that one seed a clear path to the conference championship game and get them into the tournament with a good chance at an upset. Why does this happen? Well, I don't think I, I certainly don't feel as like passionate about it as you. Cause I don't think I could have gone on that rant just now. I could have gone a lot longer than that. I, I know you I could. I, I know you're restricting yourself. There's not uh, that much oxygen in this what in, in the 17 closet. square foot room. <laughs> but I, I we're, we're also going to have to do a follow up episode at some point on, on the closet that you recorded. It's pretty airtight in here. I mean, what's the alternative to what you're suggesting though? Saying, Hey, thanks for playing everybody. Um, we're just, we're not going to have a tournament. I know we have a 10 team conference. We're going to, we're going to have our top two seeds play. And then whoever wins that, cause they're our best chance to go into the tournament and be good. Give the double buy, put your one seed in the conference. Wouldn't that be more financially beneficial for that conference? I get that you're losing the conference tournament games that you don't normally get on national TV. And that matters. Like I'm not discounting what that money matters. Like, the America East getting national TV games 
in their conference. That matters to that conference, especially this year. But wouldn't it make more sense to put UMBC and Vermont, give UMBC the regular season champion, put them in the conference championship game? Like, that's the reward for winning the regular season championship. I feel like we're discounting too much what they did in the regular season by just saying you're going to play as many games as everybody else in this conference, and there's no home court advantage this year. I was more interested in an argument like this when they were talking about the flex scheduling for, like, the American conference where they were talking about, hey, we're going to get to February 10th and then we're going to, like, add in a new part of the schedule where all the, the top four teams are going to round-robin each other. I thought that made more sense than kind of tilting conference tournament brackets toward the chalk. But are you tilting? I see it more as just a reward. This is what you get. That's why I didn't like in the NFL this year when they took away both of the buys. They took away one of the buys for the two seed. I think getting to that point in the regular season in the NFL, you deserve to have something more than having to play three playoff games. In this case, you deserve to have something more than for Wright State to have to play Milwaukee. And I get they should have won. Hey, maybe you shouldn't blow a 24-point lead in six minutes. I am totally on board with that. Make your free throws. But I feel like there should be a bigger reward for teams that won their conference regular season title. It seems like you don't, not only do you not really agree with me, you just don't give a shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with, uh, I mean, it's, it, it, it feels more meritocratic this way, which I'm fine with. Loyola won, by the way, though. They did. I got it up. And the, I, the, I almost texted you in between recording with Pat and then going into the second part of the podcast that we're doing. That uh, my, my JMU team was just kicking Elon's ass in the CAA quarterfinals. I'm glad I didn't because the score is now 60 to 58. Escaped on Saturday though, down in Elon, right? Uh, yeah, on the football side of it. Yeah, we're, we're I'm not even ready to talk about that game yet. I'm gonna need therapy for that game. This is something I wanted to to bring up with Oklahoma State talk, and I totally forgot about it on the last episode, or maybe it was two episodes ago. I can't remember now. Where we played, you're wrong, and one of your wrong statements was that seven teams from the Big Twelve mm. will make the NCAA tournament, mm. none of which will make the Final Four. Yes, I think I generally agree with you without seeing the matchups and all the caveats. Like I right. said, do you still stand by that proclamation last week after we've seen? This run from Oklahoma State, Baylor is playing better. We're talking right here. They're up on Texas Tech early. 10-1. to one. Uh, Minus the whole UTEP fiasco. Like a girl's Kansas soccer score. Lacrosse score, huh? Uh, could, yeah. I did watch a uh, lacrosse uh, women's lacrosse game last week that was 17-2. to two. That got out of hand. How do they score points? Is each goal worth one point? Or are there In different lacrosse? points? I forgot you don't know about lacrosse. Yeah, every, every goal is one point. You have like a 90-minute possession, it has a shot, I'm sorry, a 90-second possession, it has a shot clock, and then you you know you have to take shots. You have to score or resolve your possession somehow in that 90 seconds or goes to the other team. I'm thinking about all of the people that tuned into this show that for, love Pat Forty. For, and are now and, getting women's across. And had never heard of High Motor by Bet MGM before this. We and, cover it all, I think is the takeaway. We're a, we're a 26-sport smorgasbord i think the only remedy for this is we need to get some really good guests to keep people because i don't know <laughs> if people that haven't heard of us but they had heard of michael Gennetti from spa track or ben heisler from si or they were sam herder's followers from hero sports or they love pat 40 are they really sticking around for this or should we start playing the guests of the second half of the episode instead of the first half remember oh. last week when we talked about how people we don't waste people's time <laughs> 
You know, I feel like if you're still with us at this point in the podcast, you're here for shenanigans. Do you stand by that proclamation from last week? I, I do. That seven teams will make it, but none. Which do you are you firm in both pieces? I mean, yeah, I think seven are going to make it. We probably don't uh, yeah, even we're talk pretty about firm that. on the seven. So you, you're still pretty sure that none of these seven teams are final four caliber, obviously without seeing the matchups. Do I, you still believe that? I think Baylor. I, I've actually flip flopped on this like four times, back and forth and back and forth since we recorded that episode. So Baylor, I think since we came on and and we're like, hey, we've got some questions about what's going on here. They've kind of figured it out. Uh, of, of course, like I watched that West Virginia Baylor game on Tuesday, and I think uh, Fred Vichella was was doing the commentary, and he said, uh, or whoever it was said, well, you know, it, it takes about three games, you know, to, to get back into it on that third game. And then Bob Huggins said, well, of course it takes three games. This is game three. So, of course, they're going to be good to go now. So that's uh, Huggins' truism. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm more comfortable saying, okay, Baylor's probably going to get back to it here. Uh I watched that Baylor game and thought, wow, maybe my, my problem with West Virginia was always, I don't know if they rebound well enough. I don't know if they play defense well enough. And then I watched that Baylor game and thought, maybe I was wrong. Like maybe they can go on a run. Then I watched the Oklahoma State and the TCU game and I was like, nah, this is what I saw. I'm not sure this team's going, going to win four games. Uh, Oklahoma, as Pat said, I mean, it feels like they're not peaking at the right time or, maybe even that's too generous, right? Like this is just regression. This is, they won a bunch of games by really, really small margins. And now sort of the luck is bouncing the other way. Uh, Texas, I'm not sure what to do with them. I mean, Shaka's a great coach, obviously. I I mean, they could go on a run. I don't know if they're going to go to the final four. But oh, is he a great coach though? Like, do I, we do we still know that? I think he's a good coach. Is he a top 50 coach in college basketball? Yes. How far would you go with him? Top 25? God, I hate when you do this. <laughs> I'm so bad at making decisions on the spot like this. I'm I'm so I'm so clinical on like, well, I want to write out every name in college basketball and then put them in the correct order. I really don't know if I would put him amongst the top tw- not excuse me, the top 50 coaches in college basketball. I'd put him top 50. Yeah. He's not top 25. That's no, I don't think I'd put him top 25. I'd put him top I mean, This is a team that's done nothing with a ton of talent, no identity, no offensive flow. I mean, this is a team that's looked completely lost for, what, five years? I, I just don't – he is so far removed from what he did at VCU that I don't see how on earth he's a top one-seventh coach in college basketball. Top one-seventh. Yeah, that would be top 50. I'm going to give him top 50. That's okay. We can disagree. Anything else for today? You don't want to talk about lacrosse more? No, I don't. Well, I guess let's wrap it up. Thanks again to Pat for joining us today. We'll be back on Thursday for another episode of High Motor by BetMGM. We won't waste your time in that episode. I promise that will be just three days before Selection Sunday. And then we'll be back here on Monday. That's Monday the 15th, Selection Sunday on the 14th. So, yeah, we'll be back here on Monday the 15th. Thank you for checking out the show. We will see you back here on Thursday. I saw a friend today, it had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter, cause deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you've met. And how you feel more than you see. 
And other worlds that lie in spaces in